grab a seat, if you will, and I get the privilege of inviting Carrie Wood up to the front. She's our speaker, facilitator tonight. Um, I love Carrie Wood for lots of reasons, and uh, sounds like some of you do too. Uh, I get to work with her. I've gotten to be in class with her, get to hang out with her in a variety of different settings, and I just appreciate this woman. So, Carrie, take it away. Thank you, Laura. Okay. Um, a couple of people asked me if I was nervous, and I was like, shockingly, I'm not until I get up here, and now I'm feeling a little nervous, a little sweaty. So that's just me. Um, I uh, should preface this with I'm a little bit of a crier, and if you've spent any time with me, you know that that's just who I am, and I've learned to just um, accept that in myself. Um, and I think I am struck tonight by um, the worship set that you chose and how appropriate it is to what I've been um, spending time listening to Jesus about and what I'm talking about tonight, this idea of being free, this idea of being his, this idea of him loving us and choosing us. And um, I just am, I, I am always struck by how loved we are. And that has been a refrain for years and years and years for me to be able to share with people. Um, and the fact that Holy Spirit would speak to you about what songs to sing so that we could be in that place ready to listen and have already offered that worship to him is just, um, I, I pray that you all receive it as a gift like I do, that he has prepared us um, and that he does so regularly and it is such a grace that he offers. And now I'm gonna introduce myself. So um, my name is Carrie Wood. Um, I love being here tonight. Um, I love this group. Um, I know many of you, and I've seen many of you here at Salem Alliance. Um, I am the director of Next Steps. Um, I started, I've been here about four years. I started as the administrative assistant for Connecting Ministries. So really, I've spent four years in the Welcome Center. So if you guys have ever come by and asked a question or signed up for something, um, checked in your kids recently, um, I have had the opportunity to see you. Um, we also are, my department oversees the weekend coordination, so those of you who usher for me um, and serve in that way, and that's my little service plug. Um, I also oversee um, partnership and baptism and volunteering, so if you're ever interested in getting involved here in Salem Alliance, I would love to have that conversation with you because that's my passion here and my job. Um, I am married to David Wood. I have been married, and funny enough, there's like six David Woods in Salem, and we have had the opportunity to interact with them all because one time one got paid instead of my husband, and um, it's a whole thing. One's like a counselor, and one works at Corbin, and anyway, there's six David Woods in Salem. But I'm married to my David Wood and um, have been for about 20 years. We met in college, um, dated for quite some time, and then got married, and he's my very favorite person to be with, so I feel really grateful for that. We have four kids. Katie is 16, and she's a junior at West Salem High School. Nate is 14, just turned 14 on Sunday, and um, he, like, grew during COVID. Like, he woke up one morning and came upstairs, and I was like, what happened? 
Um, but he's an eighth grader at Straub Middle School, and I never knew how much I liked middle schoolers until um, I had middle schoolers of my own, and I, they are delightful. Probably they're delightful because they're mine, but um, they're kind of stinky and kind of funny and um, kind of little kiddish and kind of trying to be grown-ups, and so middle schoolers, I'm enjoying that stage. Um, Eloise is 11, and she's a sixth grader at Straub Middle School, and Josiah is nine, and he's a fourth grader at Brush College. So I feel like right now I kind of run the gamut, so I don't know what table I would sit at. <laughs> um, but uh, I really, really like them. They um, dance, they play football, they play volleyball, they play basketball, they play lacrosse, they do drama, they play instruments, and they sing in the choir. And so we are a busy season, um, and sometimes I feel like a taxi, but um, I, I really like it. We like to, when we're home, play games, um, eat fun meals together. Um, we love to go to the coast. Um, they are a funny, silly group of kids, and so we laugh a lot. Um, and there's plenty of, you know, bickering and all that kind of stuff, too. In fact, I shared at my table that I made tacos last night, and five out of six people ate. And I thought, hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, we, I, uh, things I enjoy, I love Marvel movies. I love reading. I actually um, read 100 books last year. Many of them were audiobooks. Um, I feel like, did you say something about reading? I... I really like escaping, um, and that's what it feels like for me. It feels like a healthy escape to just read instead of um, focus on things that are hard. So healthy-ish escape. Um, and um, I love to crochet, so I love to sit next to Melissa and see what she's working on because um, that's something that I really find. Um, it fills me up with art. Um, Let's see, I went out of order, so I have to turn my page. When I was in high school, um, I somehow got it in my head that all good talks start with a definition. So I um, find that I often do that. I'm like, and here, we'll open with a definition. It's like a hook for you. But um, I know you guys have been talking a little bit about courage over this um, gathering season. Um, and so I looked up the definition for courage Courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Courage is the ability to do something that frightens one, and courage is strength in the face of pain or grief. Um, again, sharing at my table, which I, um, during COVID and being separate, I realized how much I miss just talking um, with people, with women, sharing our hearts, um, the way that we can be vulnerable with one another, even after not knowing each other for very long. And um, there's a little drip there, sorry. <laughs> Whoa! Um, and how beautiful that courage looks on each of you. Um, so I really appreciate that, the strength. Um, I wanted to make sure that I said at the beginning that sometimes in January, when I didn't even tell you the title of my talk, which is The Courage to Change. Sometimes in January, we look at The Courage to Change and we think, oh, new year, new you. And that could not be farther from what I'm trying to say tonight. Um, I am not interested in making a resolution and 
and gritting it out and sheer willpower and by the skin of our teeth, we're gonna make a difference. That's not what this is. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about where my courage comes from, but it, it's not because I am the super disciplined person and I've got it figured out and wait till I give you the secret. Um, it's not resolutions and new year, new you. That's not what I'm talking about. So I just wanna make sure that I preface this whole thing with that. Courage to change. I am not a huge fan of change. I don't like being wrong. Um, having to change might mean that I made a wrong decision at some point or that I might make the wrong decision in the future. I sometimes get paralyzed by the idea that what if I choose wrong? Um, this has been a long time. This is not a new thing for me. That's just the reality of what I kind of live with. And I don't like grieving and change tends to come with grief. I am a pretty optimistic person, so I'm like, woohoo, in the stage that I'm in, because that's just glass half full kind of a outlook that I have. So if I have to change something or go to a new stage, there's grief in leaving the stage that I'm in. I don't like any of those things. My guess is that my experience is not totally unique, that many of us would say the same thing, um, so just because I like to give you the opportunity to talk and um, because Morgan says that you guys like the opportunity to talk, um, there is a half sheet on your, on your tables. And so now that I've kind of introduced this idea of the courage to change, will you talk about the first two questions um, on a scale of one to 10, one being hate it, 10 being love it, how much do you enjoy change? I had somebody peek at these and choose like, where's the zero? Um, I do want to say, and I'm sure that you have heard this before, but at Women's Ministries at Selma Alliance, you have the freedom to say as much or as little as you want. You have the freedom to pass. You have the freedom to not participate in the conversation and just listen, that this is a safe place. I love how Jennifer often introduces table talk with that. Um, you don't have to share any of these things if this feels uncomfortable for you. You can just listen to the people around you. And then the second question, what can make change hard? Um, maybe it's not hard for you, and that would be amazing, and I would love to listen to what you have to say about that. Um, but for a lot of people, I think it is hard. So will you just talk a little bit about what that is that's hard? And I'll give you as much time as you need until I come back. Okay, I'm back. I um, always feel like, I don't know if I said in my introduction how much I also love coffee and talking to people. So I could just, I could be like, and we're good. Why don't you guys just talk amongst yourselves? Because I could just sit and chat with these women the whole time. What things make change hard? I'm asking you now. You could share with me. Yeah. She said, um, not knowing what's going to happen, so the unknown. The constancy of change. Once you change, they're gonna, somebody's going to ask you to change again. <laughs> if you have to change, you're no longer in charge. That, I totally relate to that, because that's part of that whole, well, I maybe was wrong, and so I have to do something different now, which means I might not be in. Yeah. See, all those things, I think there's a human experience in changing and not always loving it. I think that that's something we can all relate to. 
Um, I really place way too high of a value on being right, and God and I are continuing to work on that. Um, I feel like I'm wrong a lot more in my older years than I was in my 20s, but maybe I'm just willing to admit that I'm wrong a lot more. Um, and God and I are working on it because I think the courage to change also takes humility. And I, I'm not literally saying up here and say, learn, learn to be humble from me. Um, but I think that that's part of it. And that's, God's been talking to me about being humble over the last year and a half. I think he's been talking to a lot of us. I've heard that pop up a lot in conversations here at church is that um, being humble and admitting that God knows the way way more than we know the way is a big part of the courage to change. Um, I'd like to share a story with you about a really huge change in my life. Um, I went to George Fox and um, graduated with a degree in biology and was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And my um, really wise, wonderful advisor said, well, why don't you go to nursing school? And I said, oh, that's a good idea. I'll go to school for more, because I like school. Um, and it ended up being a really, really good fit. So I went to nursing school, graduated in 2000, and got uh, my dream job as a labor and delivery nurse at Salem, no, not Salem, Silverton Hospital Family Birth Center. And I remember going home and saying um, to David, uh, I can't believe they pay me for this. I would do this for free. This is amazing. I loved it. I loved the mamas and the babies and the families. I loved the teaching and the helping. Um, I liked the team that I worked with. I didn't mind working night shifts. Um, I was pretty convinced that I would work there for 30, 35 years, and then I would retire. I wouldn't ever have to move or change jobs or do anything different because this was the job of my dreams, and I got it right out of school. But there was something else that I also loved, and that was I loved studying the Bible. Um, I loved Bible studies. I loved learning about the authors that wrote the Bible. Um, I liked talking about the theology and the little nuances of Scripture. Um, I liked figuring out what Scriptures meant. I liked um, figuring out how we apply it to our lives. I loved sharing it with others. Um, I was offered opportunities to teach and lead at Salem Alliance, and I really enjoyed those opportunities. I admired the women that I saw pastoring and mentoring and teaching. And something started stirring in me, and I said to my husband, you know, you know how I like school? And he said, yeah. I said, um, if there were ever like classes on theology or studying the scripture or something like that, I think it would be really fun to take some classes like that. And um, my sweet husband, who is always encouraging, was like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, going on about my life. I'm a nurse. Um, so I remember I was sitting in um, the worship center on the far right side as you're facing the stage, about eight rows back. And I was sitting, and they made an announcement about RTI. And they started talking about this ministry school that they were starting at the church. And my heart started pounding. I mean, like sweating, you know, like today, and heart pounding. And, and I was thinking, oh, I wonder if I could take some classes. And they were having an open house. And I said to David, I think we should go to that open house and just 
see what they say. And he said, okay, because again, supportive, kind, sweet man. And so we went to the open house and I sat through it and I was just like, oh my gosh, these classes would be amazing. This curriculum would be amazing. I would love to do this. And we went out to dinner and I remember just weeping and saying, I think I'm supposed to apply. And he said, yeah, I think so too. Now, mind you, I had been at Silverton Hospital for 14 years, loved it. My youngest baby was two years old, two. You guys, some of you know what a two-year-old is like. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just like audit some classes or just, you know, just kind of try it out. And um, even in my interview to get into the school, I remember saying to them, this is gonna make me a really good volunteer because I'm staying in my nursing career. I'm not looking at this as a career move. I'm just looking at this as education. And they said, okay. And I thought, well, I'm not the typical student, so maybe they'll just tell me no. Well, they didn't tell me no. They accepted me to school. And I started RTI um, in, the, in September of 2014. And um, I was terrified. I was nervous to go back to school. Everybody was younger than me. Everybody truly was younger than me, except for one person who was like a year and a half older than me. All my classmates were way younger than me. Um, I had to do everything online. Now, I know that makes me sound like stodgy or something, but um, I didn't go to class on computers. I knew how to use computers. I could like word process and stuff, but like submitting papers and stuff online, this was totally new, totally new. Um, but I did it and that was fine. Um, the other thing that really kind of stuck out to me is that the tagline for RTI is debt-free and field-ready. Well, I could totally get behind the debt-free part, but field-ready. And I even said, my boss is Michelle Unwin, and um, we had a class together in some of those early years. And I said, do you remember that I said to you all the time, just so you know, I'm not going into vocational ministry. I'm a nurse. This is just going to make me a really good volunteer. And she's like, yes, I remember that, Carrie. <laughs> I was there. Um, it was just kind of a fun, extra education kind of a piece. I got about two years in, about halfway through, and I started feeling a draw to maybe look at something else, some kind of job that maybe wasn't nursing. And um, I have to say, I'm really thankful for the grace of God in that because he nudged and called and whispered and made things maybe a tiny bit uncomfortable at the hospital. But um, he was so patient with me, so patient. He sent dear friends to encourage me, and very, very slowly, I said, okay, I'm just gonna apply for this position at this nonprofit organization. And so I applied, and I interviewed, and I was offered the position, and I was like, okay, I guess this is the next change I'm supposed to go into. And so in March 2017, I worked my last shift at the hospital that I thought I was going to work at for the rest of my life and, you know, retire from. And I um, was surprised by both the grief of leaving that and my friends because I knew that those relationships that I had formed were a were proximity relationships, and I loved the people I worked with. But I knew that when I left, we went across paths, and there's grief in that. Um, but I was also excited. 
I was excited to like do the next thing and what God had called me into. But here's probably one of the hardest parts of that whole journey. That job I took was really not a good fit. And there are a variety of reasons why, but I got a couple of months into it and I wasn't happy and I wasn't satisfied and it wasn't a good fit. And I, in all honesty, was miserable. And I thought, what have I done? I left a career to work somewhere that I am not satisfied. And I, God, what are, what are we doing? And my poor husband, I would, I would cry, and I was not happy, and I didn't know what to do. Because I had the courage to change. I felt like I was following what God asked me to do. But this was not a content place or a place of peace. It was, it was awful. In all honesty, it was awful. And my sweet friend, and I was trying to be respectful to the position that I had and the people that I was working with because I loved them. Um, and my friends recognized that in me, and I didn't know what to do. In the bulletin, there was a post for the administrative assistant of Connecting Ministries, and I decided to apply for that job that summer. And I was offered that job, and I had to go back. And not, I get that it wasn't that I was admitting that I was wrong, but resigning from that place that had taken a chance on me was really hard. And for me to be able to say, I'm so sorry, this isn't working, and I appreciate what you've done, and I loved being here, and I need to go. And that was, I mean, even kind of embarrassing. Change can be embarrassing. Because again, it feels like I was saying I was wrong. I made a mistake, and I hate being wrong. My daughter even said, Mom, you're changing jobs again? <laughs> so I get it. I mean, like, it's, we all have that. We all have that, like, resistance to this. But I stepped into working at Salem Alliance, hoping that maybe this time I had the right change. And I am happy to say that I have loved working here. I graduated from RTI in June of 2018, and here we are. And I think that it's important for me to say that this change has ended well so far, but the process was not easy. The middle of it wasn't easy, and I even wondered if it was worth it many times. But I do believe that God was with me every step of the way. So I tell that story because um, change doesn't always make sense, and it takes courage. So where do we find that courage to change? Um, and remember, I really don't like to be wrong. I really like to be right. So um, having safe people around me, a supportive husband, a supportive family, people I could process with, all of those things were really important in the process of change. And I pray that you all have those kinds of resources in your lives as well. But here's the thing about change. Here's the thing about the courage to change. Change never affects who God says we are. We can be courageous about change. We can even get it wrong. We can change our minds because God has already told us who we are, and nothing can change that. One of my favorite verses is found in Hebrews. I actually really like the whole thing. So, but um, Hebrews is a good one. Hebrews chapter 10, and I thought this was really funny that my bookmark in here, I told you we like to play games. This is a scorecard from, 
I think Quirkle. And oh no, I didn't win. My daughter won. Um, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 10. Um, Hebrews, I'm just going to give you a tiny little background because it's one of my passions. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10 is talking about how Christ's sacrifice on the cross has made us holy. And so that's kind of what that chapter is about. But starting in verse 10, for God's will, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. And this is the verse that's my favorite. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And I'm going to actually read this to you because I want the words to really sink in. We've been made perfect, yet we are being made holy. Through his death and resurrection, Christ once for all made his believers perfect in God's sight. We are perfect in God's sight because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But at the same time, he's making us holy progressively cleansed, set apart for a special use in our daily lives here. So we should not be surprised, ashamed, or shocked that we still need to grow because God isn't finished with us. So where do we find the courage to change? We find it in the fact that positional, we've been made perfect. Nothing can affect us on that. And we are being made holy. As we are being changed, God is calling us into things. We are being asked to make different choices, we are being made holy. I find the courage to change because I know where I stand with God. It's okay if I get something wrong because this earth, this life is a process. And every step I take, every listening to Holy Spirit, every following the scripture, every praying God's will in my life is to his glory as I'm being made holy. In the Gospel of John, on Sunday morning after Jesus had been crucified in the, on the cross, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early in the morning and she finds that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. And she runs and she tells Simon Peter and John and they run back to the tomb and they find it empty. And we as Christ followers celebrate that, right? We celebrate it regularly. We talk about it on Easter. It's a big deal. The tomb is empty. I am fascinated by John 20 verses eight and nine. It says, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, that was John, also went in and he saw and believed. He saw the empty tomb and the grave cloths. And it says, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. These disciples had lived with Jesus for three years and they still didn't understand what he had been telling them outright. Because sometimes we change because we finally learn or know more. The disciples had not understood what Jesus had been telling them. In fact, some of them even knew Old Testament scriptures, and they still didn't get it. But they weren't held responsible for that. So the scripture doesn't say, the dumb disciples finally understood with an eye roll emoji, right? That's not what it says. They had the courage to change once they understood something. God is so gracious with us to tell us and teach us and lead us 
gently and kindly into change. They were able to then spread the good news to the world because they were willing to be open to new change. My complete career change, the disciples' change, understanding led them to witness to the world. These all seem like really major changes, and I get that. Like, for me to go, I'm going to be a nurse. Oh, no, I'm going to go be a pastor. Surprise! And for the disciples to finally get what the resurrection of Christ means, those are major, right? And sometimes those things can't be super relatable. But I think it takes courage to change, even in the little tiny things. Here's another funny story about change, and I asked my youngest son if I could share this, because it, it speaks to me, and I told Laura, there's something else I'm supposed to talk about, and I don't know the words for it yet. But it's, it's that idea of the little tiny pieces of things that also make us holy. I think sometimes we think of holiness as um, big, giant things and people that stand up in front of you and look holy, like holy is like this kind of a concept. But the reality is that we are being made holy because we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And that is a precious process and it is incremental and it is little and we are all experiencing it each day. And um, my youngest, being the baby, slept in my room for much longer than any of my other kids slept in my room. And we did eventually move him into his own room in his own bed, but about the time he was five or six, he decided that he really kind of missed being with mom and dad. So he would wake up at two or three or four in the morning and he would come in and he would wake us up and either want to crawl in bed with us or be tucked back in or something, which is normal developmentally, but my poor husband could not go back to sleep. So he was getting three and four hours of sleep a night, and it was affecting the way we would function during the day, and um, we had to put an end to it. We had to do something. So we started um, tucking him back in, but that didn't work. And then we started, we put like a baby gate up in the hall so that he would like wake up enough to realize what he was doing and put himself back to bed. We tried um, tucking, waking him up and tucking him back in when we went to sleep, we, I mean, we tried, you name it, we tried it, to keep him in his room in his own bed. My sister-in-law said, why don't you just put like a blanket or a mat on the floor and just let him sleep there? And I was like, no, he needs to stay in his own room. And um, I mean, I'm telling you, we tried everything and we were losing our mind. And finally, I was like, fine, fine, I will put a blanket on the floor. You know what? Solved everything. He was like, mom and dad are right there, and I feel safe, and I can sleep here, and nobody woke up, and everybody slept through the night, and it was amazing. And I tell that story because, again, this idea of holiness is the incremental changes that God asks us. I feel like God was asking me to change a little bit about what my expectation for him was and what he needed. And I can't necessarily put into words why that makes me look more like Jesus, but I know, I know that that's what God was asking of me and that I was obeying him. But it took a long time for me to change my mind about what Josiah needed. That's the thing about being made holy. How we act, how we parent, how we mother, how we think, 
how we respond to people, all of those are pieces of being made holy. So I would ask you where that change and courage shows up in your life. It could be just the courage to change your mind. It could be the courage to change your behavior. It could be the courage to try something new, to let go of something old that doesn't serve you anymore. It could be something big. I mean, I I want us to remember that there's those little tiny things that God asks us to do, but there are also some big things. I um, was speaking to someone this week about a nudge that they've been feeling for quite some time. And those things can be scary to step out on, especially if we don't think they're our ideas. (laughs) If we think they're God's ideas and we're not sure we really want to do it. We have the privilege. I think that's where I would land the most, is that change is an invitation that Holy Spirit invites us into out of love and goodness for us. And it doesn't always look the way we think. It doesn't always feel the way we think. But it's an invitation. And I would also say it's really okay to feel whatever you feel when it happens and when you're asked. Some of you are going to feel scared, sad, embarrassed, angry. Some of you are going to be excited and joyful and expectant. And some of you are going to have all those feelings at the same time. And all of that is totally okay. Because the reality is we've been made perfect in Christ. He's just working on making us more holy. And the both and is just a really beautiful picture of of who we are. Both and. I've been made perfect, but boy, God has a lot of work left to do. Um, There are a couple more questions on your table, if you are willing to talk about them. Jesus, we are so thankful to be here in your presence. We are so thankful for your work on the cross that you have made us perfect and you are making us holy. God, I pray courage over the women in this room today. I sense that you see them as courageous already, and I ask that you just continue to fill that up. God, will you open their ears to Holy Spirit, to both the truth about who they are as you see them, and that next step that you wish for them to take. God, will you remind them that you are good and that you want good for them. God, give us peace. Give us peace tonight as we sleep. Wake us up in the morning with a sense of a new day, walking with you. And God, remind us that you are always there. In your precious name, we are so thankful and grateful to be daughters of yours. Amen.